Well, hi guys, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebujamra, and if we haven't met before, hi, welcome to this episode that I know you're going to love. We here talk about hope. We believe in hope. We love hope. It's why we call it the Hope Podcast. And every week or so, I interview people who feel just as strongly about hope. And uh, uh, today's story, I think you're going to really enjoy, uh, maybe a, a average word for it you're actually going to be really challenged and i believe with all my heart that the lord jesus is going to draw you closer to himself in this conversation um so no matter what your background is we welcome you today's story is of a man uh, who i met recently through his mother of all things uh, his name is brad claver and brad is a pastor he is married to a beautiful woman named michelle and they have four children uh, not long ago brad's life erupted in a tsunami of events that changed everything for the better. He asked to take a leave of absence from his job as a pastor at the time and took some time to pray because he felt uh, an unrest, something was not right in his life, and he sought time and um, energy to look into that. And what came out of that time has changed Brad forever. Uh, He finally acknowledged the truth in his life. He is same-sex attracted. Instead of giving in to what many would call his nature, he went back to his wife and they talked about it and prayed through it. And today, Brad is still happily married and living what I would say is his best life yet for God's glory. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear what led Brad to see the truth about his heart, how he handled what could have been the most devastating news in his Christian life, and how today he hangs on to hope, uh, really propelling him into joy. Uh, I see that all over everything he says and does. And so I'm going to introduce you to him and trusting that God is going to use him deeply to encourage you no matter what you're struggling with today. And so welcome, Brad. So great to have you on today. Thank you, Lena. It's good to be with you and uh, grateful for the opportunity to, to share uh, with you and with others. Well, listen, you have uh, really a very interesting story, not just because of what I just introduced, but you sort of have some other things that happened in your life early on. I, I, I start every podcast. Those who listen regularly are familiar a bit with my heart. <laughs> I'd like to hear what happened early on. How did you come to know the Lord? When did you become a Christian? Tell us a bit about your early life. Yeah, Um you know, I, I mean, it, it sort of is that um, stereotypical kind of kind of journey. Uh, grew up in West Michigan, uh, Grand Rapids area, which is um, a highly heavily churched community, and and so grew up in the church. Grew up attending Sunday morning gatherings and being involved in the church. And um, you know, I, I would say that. Uh, you know, my language has changed even in how, how I, I speak about this. I think that um, while I grew into familiarity with, with Jesus, I grew into just by being in proximity with, uh, with teaching, but also as my parents were, were discipling us. Um, but I, I would say that in terms of just really longing for uh, and, and receiving that invitation to be in, in relationship with Jesus, uh, probably more in high school, uh, really began to um, to journey with God in a in a more intentional Did you, way. Were you one of those guys that had like a aha moment? You know, you sort of went to camp, gave your life, you know, felt like God changed you, or was it sort of more progressive? I mean, I think I had I had a lot of those moments, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know, part of your introduction of me, um, you know, in, indicates that. I mean, I, I look at I, I've had to take a whole you know long hard look at my my journey of faith. Uh, in the last year, uh, because of um, just this longing for acceptance, this longing to be uh, enough and loved, and and never for 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 a lot of reasons, um, never found it, never never experienced it, and so I think, yeah, there were several aha moments. There were several like come to the come to the front at camp and raise your hand and be prayed over kind of moments. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't call into question the genuineness right. of God's, right. God's work in my life. It was true. It was well, I real. believe that. And I, and I want to press in a bit more. I mean, your home is very supportive. I happen to know your parents and I think your experience, and I, the reason I want to dwell on this a bit before we move forward, I think it's such a common experience. Like you grew up in what sounds like a very loving family. Your parents start together. It's not a broken home. You're not a single mom, you know, raising you. And, and, and yet there is this deep yearning for acceptance as you say it even with what you know now what do you think is behind that in the teenage years i mean is it was it at school that you felt it was it just in in your soul i mean lay into that a bit 
Um, I grew up early on. Um, I, I experienced, uh, you know, I, as I've learned to uncover it and see it, you know, I, I grew up with increasing measures of shame. Um, and from, from certain experiences, but also certain beliefs about myself. And, mm -hmm. and so I think I had amazing parents. I still do. Um, very supportive, very, um, very loving, um, and, and really was involved in a lot. But I think that, um, even with all of that, uh, just continued to be bombarded with this, um, ever increasing, feeling that no matter what I did, I'd never be enough. Mm. And, and I think that that kind of, I, I learned to live into kind of this where I, I'm an intuitive person. And so I, I began to, I think as a kid, began to see where I would make mom and dad happy, where I would uh, be mm -hmm. uh, applauded for my leadership in uh, the Christian community in my, in my neck of the woods, um, where I would, be propped up as a spiritual leader amongst my peers even. Um, and I learned early on um, that that was filling in me a, a need that, you know, what I've, what I've now been able to see is, is a need that was never going to be filled by anybody, but the father. Mm -hmm. And, and yet, you know, um, because I was swimming in this water of um, the church and spirituality and religion and all of it, um, you know, really learn to, to gain my attaboys from, yeah. from my involvement in ministry. Right. So you actually pursued that path. You ended up going to Christian college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. interesting. I mean, so I, um, you know, I actually did not go to Christian college for ministry. Um, mm -hmm. I actually went to, uh, to Taylor university in Indiana, um, as a bio pre-med major. Really? And, and I actually went as a bio pre-med major because I knew that I, I had this longing in my heart to help people and to serve people. And, and although in my, you know, growing up in high school and, and being involved in the church, uh, was hearing messages all the time from people of, oh, God has a, your hand, his hand on you for ministry. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be in ministry. And I've heard that. But at the same time, there was always this lingering um, narrative and story in my mind that said, if you only knew what was really going on and who I really was, you wouldn't be saying that. Hmm. And, and so I, as I began to believe that I began to say, well, I, I do feel this, this, this call to help and serve, but because I'll never be okay serving in that capacity, I'll go as a bio pre-med major and I'll, I, you know, I, I, I will, I will go and be a doctor. And, you know, the reality is, is that I got two semesters in and my plant, my plant biology professor of all people says, if you don't enjoy this and you're not excited about this, you're not going to survive this journey. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I hate this. I do not enjoy <laughs> science. What am I even doing here? And right. in that kind of crumbling of that reality, it was like, well, what did I do? I, I fell back on, well, this is what everybody else has always said is you should be in ministry. You're going to be a pastor someday. So then the plan really? is to, well, I'll be a pastor. I'll pursue this, but I'll go to seminary somewhere other than Grand Rapids. I'll, I'll pursue ministry somewhere else, but in moving someplace else, now I'll be able to um, finally share the thing that I've always been so afraid to share. Um, and it'll be part of my new story in a new place. So, I mean, and I introduced some of your story in the intro, but like at that point, were you aware of how you felt um, as it pertains to your sexuality? Uh, oh, very much so. I, I actually, I would say that um, I became very, um, I, the earliest memory that I have really in terms of just my, my about being somewhat different um, mm -hmm was just probably around the age of 10 or 12 when, um, you know, you, you begin to hear stories about, oh, boys, you know, boys like girls, girls like boys. You start to see some of this like innocent kind of flirting that happens and even just the joking amongst parents and things like that and realizing, um, oh, I look at boys like girls look at boys. And, and, um, and, and at the same time, um, over the course of, you know, a couple of years, the church that I was going to, um, I remember very vividly sitting in the balcony for one particular occasion uh, with 
a, a group of friends for a Sunday night service and I, and watching um, uh, over the course of a couple of years, uh, three different men uh, publicly excommunicated from the church for uh, some level of, of um, homosexuality, um, same sex attraction, um, mm. relational kind of connection that way. And I, and I, I remember very vividly as a kid sitting there watching this happen going, oh, so this is what happens if people find out you, you are shown the doors. And um, now you were at the time, I mean, this is back, I mean, the era has changed, right? So this is back in what, the 80s or 90s, maybe 90s? Early guess? 90s. Yep. Early 90s. So, so at the time, were you like, was the language you said to yourself, like, I struggle, like, were you just saying, oh, I'm just sinning? Like, this is something that I'm struggling with. Like, how did you I think that was the era I grew up in. Is yeah. it was sin, and you didn't really go there. It just like you just denied it almost in yourself. Oh yeah, you you, you learn to detach it because uh, I mean I I grew up in the era where you know I mean playground taunts. Um, I mean right. the, the 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 general language used amongst you know playground boys in that time as a kid was if you if anything was bad, the yeah. language was that's so gay. Or, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and as a kid began to realize that um, I was inherently bad because um, I didn't have the language for that at first. In fact, I, I really struggled for a really long time. In fact, it's not actually language that I use today. I don't refer to myself as gay. Right. Um, I, I, I use the language of having same-sex attraction. Um, mm -hmm. but, but back then, the reality is, is that, you know, the 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 context I was in, you know, going to, to church in conservative Christian school, um, in a culture where if you've been to Grand Rapids, I mean, there it's, it's changed now, but you know, when I grew up, I mean, it's a, it's a sweep it under the rug culture and, you know, avoid your, your weaknesses. Don't talk about your issues, um, passive aggressive kind of things. And so, um, as a kid, you know, growing up in an extended family like that. My parents weren't so much like that, but my extended family was like that for sure. Um, really, really learning to hide and detach. So it wasn't a matter of, of even necessarily wanting to own it. In fact, you know, I spent years and years alone in my room asking God, begging him to fix me or change me or sh like switch me or, or, end, or end me. Um, right. ultimately because, because I didn't understand, I didn't know, but, but who could I go to, to talk with? Because right. it just was not a safe environment, um, because of the language used. And, in high school, did you have a girlfriend? Like, did you compensate to that degree or what? Like you got married in college. So tell us like, move us into how you sure. dealt with. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I mean, I was, a, I was, I was very aware of like, I mean, people thought I was a catch. I mean, my church planning partner down the road, he had, a, he had a moment. He's just like, dude, you are the golden boy at your church, like in Grand Rapids. Like, and, um, and, and absolutely. I mean, I, I wanted to be quote unquote normal. I wanted to be acceptable. I wanted, and I didn't want to be found out. And so, uh, because I had, at, by the time I was in high school, I had done everything in my power to create a reputation, to, to build a persona that at that point, um, I don't even think I was realizing I was living into. I was just, that was just normal life now. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, absolutely. Per, you know, dated girls, pursued girls in college. I mean, I, I was out, the, Taylor has this thing called pick dates and where, you know, you different dorm floors will, will do events and everything. And I was, I was almost on a pick date almost every weekend. Um, my, 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 my buddies on my floor had a, had kind of a, um, it had a unique name for me in relation to that, but I'll, I'll spare you on that. But it, I mean, the reality is, is that I, I could go out on dates with girls and I did. And, and I would even pursue women. And I think because I was still trying to detach myself from the reality of this broken sexuality would, would like got myself to believe that I could, I could make it happen myself and so but i would end up always just like getting scared and or or realizing uh, nope there's nothing there and, and then and you met your wife. women yeah yeah and so um actually i so i ended up um 
through some really hard circumstances back in Grand Rapids, the place I did not want to end up back at because then it was like, well, more hiding. This was this was um, after. Tell us a bit about that. So Taylor, was this after the you went through a, a, a tragedy at Taylor? Yeah. Right? So my senior my senior year, four weeks uh, before graduation, uh, there was a really terrible van accident, and uh, three six people died. Three of them were were dear friends of mine. And um, were you in the accident or you they were just contacts, like people you knew, friends? These were friends. Uh, we were all part of, you know, the same kind of friend circle and we all worked uh, banquets together mm-hmm. actually. And um, they happened to be at a banquet up at the Fort Wayne campus and driving back and, and, and their van was, was hit by a semi truck. And, and there was, I mean, lost, lost these friends. And in the meantime, we thought, one of those friends was alive and well and, and recovering in the hospital. And five weeks later, we found out that it was a mistaken identity case. And I remember um, that in the news, right? Yeah. So you left college after graduating, or did you leave before at the time? Was that? The- uh, no, I graduated. I graduated, okay. and I came. I was I was on my way to seminary, and I just was not in a place uh, to to step into that at that time uh, because of the grief, and so ended up coming back to Grand Rapids starting seminary in Grand Rapids here. Uh, in the meantime, started uh, a, a was a part of a, a community uh, that that was engaged in a neighborhood on the west side of our city, um, part of the 24-7 prayer movement. And um, it was there that as a 22-year-old young, young dude, um, I think really because God was kind of doing a work in me out of this place of grief um, that really saying, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done trying to fake this. I'm trying, done trying to fix this. Um, I, I, I can't do it and I need, I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to surrender my sexuality to you. And the thing is, is that that was genuine and that was true. It was real. It was the reality of saying, you know, I can't make this happen and, and it may not be what you have for me. And in in the interesting thing is, is that like, it wasn't like I was like, well, I'll go off and, you know, I'll have a same sex relationship then. Like, yeah. Even as dysfunctional it was, like the 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 risk of being caught or found out or discovered that way it actually sp- like spared me from ever really acting upon it um, in a in a physical relational kind of a way. Right. Um, but through that, I just said I just surrender, and I I really came to a place of being content, um, being a single celibate guy for the rest of my life, and that's a huge deal in West Michigan, especially because like. For me, growing up in my context, I mean, marriage is almost like the, that's the, 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 you can't get any more spiritual than when you're married. And that is like, that's the goal. That's where you get to really be what Jesus always wants you to be is once you get married. I mean, when I went to Taylor, like not even three hours into my stepping on campus as a freshman, we're in there, all of us freshmen are in this orientation and the chancellor says, look to your left, look to your right. You might be sitting next to your future spouse. And I'm like, wow. we're even setting the tone here for that. Like, and that was, wow. and, and I left Taylor, not only grieving that, but also seeing all my friends starting to pair off and, and get married and going, I failed, I failed again. Yeah. And, and, but God brought me to that place of saying like, A, I'm not my sexuality. Uh, B, where I really, where he brought me was just, Jesus came to die for whole people. Every part of us, not the not the parts I pick and choose, not the parts that I want to acknowledge, not the parts that I that I'm 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 okay showing. Like he came to die for whole people and restore mm. whole people back to him, including the part, including my sexuality, and that reality. Going, all right, then I surrender that, and, mm. and I don't need to be identified with that. I don't need to be. Um, afraid that that might be where I, where I land. And, um, and so there was a real genuineness to that. And I think too, being able to recognize that, um, that that was okay to be called by God to live as a single person, which was kind of a new reality for me. Um, Hmm. but you didn't really talk at this level to anybody. I mean, you just sort of, this was a self, this was all in my head. I mean, like I had, I mean, cause when I was 12, I said, I will never tell anyone. Yeah, and so there was actually so at, at the at the um, in the prayer community we do these rhythms of twenty four seven prayer weeks of twenty four seven prayer and um, I had one night where I was taking a two a.m. to four a.m. shift and um, 
and there we were, it was all kind of this new monastic community. So several different people in the community and, and Michelle, my wife, uh, was one of the women in the community and, and, um, and throughout that prayer time, I was praying and I felt prompted by the Lord to, to begin to pray for all the people within our community, um, the men and the women who are all in, in this work together. And I, and I got to Michelle and I began to just be overcome by the Holy Spirit, praying for her in ways that I wasn't praying for anyone, in, in, in ways of praying for her as a, as a woman, as a, as, a, um, as a partner, as a, as a wife, as a as mm. someone who has a past, as someone who God is going to take into the future and and use by Him, as as someone who's uniquely wired, and and in that place, like sense this overwhelming like affection for her, and mm. and and this just almost this like this open handed permission by God to pursue her in a way that was different and. And in the same way, looking at marriage now, all of a sudden, not as I had grown up believing is that marriage is basically a means to have sex, but marriage is, is that opportunity, that true opportunity to resemble the, the, the amazing, beautiful work of the gospel of, of Jesus coming and, and pairing and, and marrying, um, the church, which is, um, like two opposites coming together and, and, and the, the, the head scratching, you know, reality of that. And yet the beauty that comes from that. And, um, you were ahead of yourself, Brad, huh? I mean, like from the ages, like nobody was like you, you reached all this at at 22, just as so from God, like that's very mature, I think for that time and dealing with all these things that people are talking about like they are now. Like, I think there's a level of, discussion that is that that sort of helps today uh, on these issues but wow i'm impressed so i mean you literally you married her and had four kids like things were going great for a minute yeah except that you know like the reality of is is that i'm sitting there going oh my goodness like i'm you never told her i'm getting the the desire of my heart here like i get to be married i'm i'm going to pursue this woman and it's there's something real happening here and there's something good in our midst like as someone who's learned to perform, like you don't just like shut off that performance switch and say, well, I'm done performing. It was like, Oh, I'm going to perform the heck out of this now. And I better not screw this up. So be the best husband, be the best father, be, you know, be everything she needs, which is so exhausting exhausting, and also not like faithful to God (laughs) that that is stepping in the way of what, what we're meant to be is, is, is as, as partners in marriage, like not fulfilling our spouse, but leading our spouse to the father who can be the one to fulfill us. And, um, and so, uh, you know, it was good from a, like, from a standpoint of, of our relationship is genuine and what, what was happening was real. Um, and I think at the same time, um, I, I still was just kind of trying to detach myself from the reality mm-hmm. of, of uh, my, my, my past and also the reality of same-sex attraction to, because I have this beautiful woman in front of me who I delight in. And, yeah. um, and so we, we spent time in South Africa together and doing, doing church planning work. I spent 13 years on a staff at a church here in Grand Rapids uh, doing pastoral work. Um, and quite honestly, like thrived in it. Um, Mm. and, uh, and then received this call that I really believe was, was from the Lord to, to plant a church, uh, with an, with a friend. And, um, we spent a year and a half in preparation mode and, and, and just vision casting and praying and, and, and inviting God into the process. And, and I think through that, the change of, of, moving from something that had become whether I would have said it at, or not at that time, so comfortable and so um, familiar as the church that I was a part of to something yeah. that was new and something that was different with a different type of, uh, of a, with a partner church planning partner who was wired differently than, than other people and who had a different perspective than this West Michigan culture. And all that to say um, things began to just kind of surface in my life. And, um, things that I wasn't necessarily seeing, but, um, 
this this fellow who who planted with me was was loving and and you know upfront enough to say what's going on here what is happening what do you think you saw Brad was it like the search for doing more I mean what was it that that like even now have you gone back to ask him like I'm curious about that because that was a pivot turn now you're at this yeah. church things are going well you've sort of hid this a same-sex attraction, you know, sinful pattern that you kind of squelch and says, I'm normal, I'm okay, everything is good. You're successful in the eyes of the world. You've got a beautiful family. And now this guy sees what? You were trying hard to do what? Like, what was it that he saw that was starting to come to the surface? You know, he's he's an intuitive guy, but he's also, I mean, he's just, he's a guy who listens and who 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 watches. And he began to see like, Brad, you're this guy in this con- context, you're this guy in this context, you're this guy in context. And he kept using language of like, what's your voice? Who are you? What, what's your true voice? And I'd, I'd look at him and say, this is my voice. And he's like, well, it's like three different voices, Brad. Like, what do you really, what, what are you really passionate about? What do you really care about? And, and we have, we have since talked about it. It's, and, and really what he was observing was, in different elements of ministry at the church I was serving at, it was like, you're this here, you're this here, you're this here. And none of them are consistent. Um, They're good. They're not necessarily inherently bad, but which one of those is pointing to who you really are? And were you in hindsight, like, was it just this effort to please everyone that you would just sort of change to become what they wanted you to be in that setting? Oh, I'm the ultimate chameleon. That's but that's how I learned to, to survive. That's how I learned to protect myself to, I mean, again, when you make a decision as a, as a 12 year old boy, that I will not be what I will not be this. I will not, I will, I will resist this. I will not let anybody know that this is a part of me. Um, what that ended up doing is, is I began to shut parts of myself down that I actually truly thoroughly enjoyed but because they might be um in the world's eyes a more feminine quality or or mm-hmm. or be either like like I love design and I love I love I, I was the I was the kid growing up that would on Saturdays I'd shut my bedroom door and I wouldn't let anybody in because I was rearranging my room and I was staging my shelves and I was you know laying things out and making it all look nice. And then I'd invite my whole family in up at the end of the Saturday and want them to see it. And, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that, but I learned growing up that um, based on our culture's kind of perspective of how men should be and how women should be, that that's either something that women do or you're gay. And so that was, that's one element of so many different pieces of myself that I learned to shut down that were true to who I was but wouldn't necessarily be acceptable to other people. So I thought, and so I learned instead say, well, I'll be what you need me to be. And and I'll be what you need me to be. And I'll be really good at it. And, um, and I was really good at it. I, I thrived in that um, environment. And, and I could, I, because I can walk in a room and I know exactly what the temperature of the room is. I know what I, I can sense that there's things going on that these people are in, in conflict over here or there's needs over here. And I will deliver that to you, man. I will give you exactly what you need. And you're going to walk out of that room feeling like you're a million bucks, that you're riding high, that you know, you're going to feel empowered. And at the same time, I'm going to go, great. I have worth. I have value. Yeah. I'm enough. I was enough. When, when you were called out uh, by him, like to sort of look at yourself and think about those things, were you mad about it or were Ooh, you like, yeah. Oh, it did not feel good at all. I mean, it's like almost, it, it's like Oz, like, like who let this dude behind my curtain? Yeah. Who, who, like, who are you to think that you can, you can peel that curtain back? I'm the guy who peels that curtain back. I get to show you what I want to show you, but you don't get to peel that curtain back. And, right. and that is where like, we were in a, we, we ended up in a heated argument one day because I just wasn't understanding what he was talking about. He was in love trying to, to point something out to me. And in the middle of this, like, you know, conversation that we're having, I said, I don't need, like, I lie to myself. I don't, and I don't even know it. Mm. And it was sort of this like stunning moment of he sits back in his chair with his eyes open wide. And I looked at him, I said, I don't even know where that came from. And it was mm. in that moment where it was like, 
I got to, I got to figure out what's going on here. And I need, yeah. I need time away because I, I need to get alone with God and I need, I need to know what's going on. So that's when you resigned from the church. Nope. I took, oh. I, this is when I took six weeks off. Um, I took, actually I took, I took four weeks off that turned into six weeks. Did and, your wife at the time, like, what was her perspective in hindsight? Was she freaking out inside? Like, what is he doing? Or was she like, God's good, you know, paint that picture for us a bit. Um, Michelle is a remarkable woman. And she, she is so, um, she is so peace filled. And she leads in that. She leads mm -hmm. by that. And she offers that. And so I think that there was some parts of her that, she was obviously concerned, but she was also like, go discover it, find it out. Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's, I'm with This you. is, and by the way, she has like four kids, right? I mean, it's not like they're all under what your kids are ages. Uh, seven, five, three, and almost two. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty something. I mean, so she sends you away to the woods and God meets you. Talk yeah. about that. Um, I was given this cottage on Lake Michigan for two weeks and they were like, just use it and be there for as long for, for that whole two weeks. And Michelle's like, just go and don't worry about us. We'll be okay. You just go and you, you learn from God what you want to, what you need to learn. I made it two days, Lena. Wow. <laughs> um, because day one, I'm alone <laughs> and being alone all of a sudden, like the only thoughts that you get to pay attention to are your own. And, um, I did not like the thoughts that I had. I, um, they made me very uncomfortable. And the reality was, is like, I'm sitting there and I was, a, I was a nervous wreck. I'm like, what do I need to do? How do I need to use this time? What did I need to be like, what if I, what if I'm not reading enough of my Bible? What if I'm not praying enough? What if I fall asleep during that prayer? Like, you know, yeah. like, how am I going to report to anybody what I, how I performed my way through this? Like, you know, that's, those are my words now, but that's really what right. it was. And and I, I began to like, listen, I had been reading this book called the, the Furious Longing of God by Brennan Manning. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and he speaks of this, this, this breath prayer in that you breathe in the word Abba and you breathe out the, the words, I belong to you. And, mm -hmm. and I was reading that and it was so compelling for me. And I'm, I'm, and so I just was like, I'm going to do this. And, and as I'm doing that, I realized this is not true for me. Hmm. Um, this is not real for me. Um, I don't actually believe that I belong to him. And, and that was a really heartbreaking um, reality. Uh, that was a really uh, difficult um, like realization to have to stare at and to be there all by myself and go, hmm. what do I do with this? You know? And um, was it that you didn't feel you belong because intellectually, like you believe Jesus had paid the price for your sin, you had made like you had done what the Bible had said to do. So, was it just like you felt like it was that you didn't really believe it, or was it that you didn't feel it? I think it was in my head. I can tell you everything, I can, I, I mean, I, I can speak the truth of the gospel and mean it for other people, but when it came to me, I had had all of these buildups of messaging and not only for myself I was living this narrative that there's no matter what I do and how I am I'll never be enough hmm. and that was a that was a a lie that had been planted a long time ago not something that I was always aware of but certainly something that was that was causing me to make decisions the way that I was and and so like it, it, the reality was is that that idea of belonging to Jesus, belonging to God could swim in my head. And mm. yet my soul was so crusted over by ways of protecting myself and shielding myself from having to let that, that it, that it didn't, that truth of belonging to the father never was able to seek down into the depths of my soul. And root wow. itself there, and be and and truly be changed and transformed by it. And so, like the shift from I, I really believe the shift from moving away from one church and starting another, and being so completely uncomfortable there was like the work of the Holy Spirit really saying, "Okay, I'm swimming down in the deeps of in the depths of your soul because I dwell there, but we're going to push this stuff to the surface, and you're not going to be able to fix it anymore. You're not going to be able to hide it anymore, and you're not going to be able to contain it. It's coming out." 
whether you like it or not, because I love you. And I want you to know this. I want you to live this. And I want you to trust me that you belong with me no matter what. And that, and so the next day I'm sitting on the beach and I'm, I'm angry. I am, I'm angry because I'm like, God, you, I want you to show me a revelation. I want you to tell me like, why, where's this performance coming from? And how do I, how do I go forward from here? And how can this, how can it still, again, I'm still thinking in my mind, what do I need to do? Right. To belong to you. <laughs> you know? Right, right, what do right. What I need to do for you so that I belong. And 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 it was like the it wasn't this like thus said the Lord, it wasn't an audible, but it was the reality of you have been you've been performing your way through life because you've never believed that you would ever be acceptable or enough. And mm-hmm. and the reality was is that if you want to know where your performance comes from and why you perform so much, you have to be willing to say it all. Uh, no, 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 that's not the agreement. The agreement was I was never going to talk about this. But the reality is, is so much of my performance flowed from a place of, of, of just being truly um, like bad and unacceptable and uh, an abomination and, um, and, and misunderstood and, you know, like uh, all of these messages that I, res- that I was hearing and taking on in relation to my same-sex attraction weren't just simply that I, like, I was holding at bay. They were all being applied to my identity mm. and, and, and just completely mess, messed with, my, with, with who I was. And so I'm sitting there going, I'm going to have to come out with this. I'm going to have to share this. And realizing as I sat on the beach going, if I just go back and step back into ministry and keep this hidden, now with what I know that, like, this isn't even real for me. I don't even know how I belong to the Father. Like, now that I have this awareness, I'm going to now knowingly be deceptive. Right. So my choice is either to knowingly deceive or look at this and say, I could lose everything. And yet maybe at the end of that loss, experience something that I've never known before and realizing I don't want to walk in deception anymore. I don't want, I don't, I don't want my life to be something that exhausts me to Mm. the ideal image of myself, because that's really what I was doing. I was just simply maintaining the ideal image that I had for myself, that I thought others needed me to be. And that I, that I, believed God needed me to be. So you left after two days to talk to your wife or did it take two weeks to convince you by God? Uh, I drove home and I wept the entire way, the entire 45 minutes because I literally. um, Well, Brad, did you think she would, Michelle would leave you? Like, were you like, I didn't know. I mean, I, I, I felt like she's an incredibly gracious person, but how, how do you forgive something like this? How do you go 10 years of, of, of relationship and not share like this significant thing? And, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I was terrified. I felt like you know, she, I may not be able to, I may not see my kids anymore. I may not see her after I say this. Um, mm-hmm. And yet there was just this prompting of like, I have more for you. I have, I have more for you than what you've experienced. You felt connected to them like, like in, a, in a different yeah. way than you had up to that point yeah. to the Lord. But it was going to require letting everything go. So you get home and, and you like you sit down and you just go through it all. And well, actually, I had planned that night to 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 share it with her. And I'm I'm like working up the courage. My heart's beating, and all of a sudden, you know, the kids are all down to bed, and all of a sudden, the baby starts crying. And that was the uh-huh. end of that night. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? And so I went the entire rest of the the next day. And I was just so emotionally distant and she could tell. And, um, and so then that night I, I sat her down and I said, I'm going to tell you something. And, and, and I want you to know that um, I want you to, I want you to be able to ask me anything and everything that you need to ask. And I want you to be able to say anything and everything you need to say. Mm-hmm. And I'll, and I'll listen. Um, but I can't hold this on anymore. And I can't, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. And, and, uh, that wasn't, I can't do this marriage. It was, I can't, I can't go on um, deceiving myself and others. I can't go on 
performing to be acceptable. Why is it so terrifying for people to take that step of honesty with others? I mean, in your case, it was 10 years later. I get the nuance, but why is it for the average Christian listening right now who's going through their own hell, let's say, and they sort of know that they're living a lie? Like, why is it so hard for us when the other side of it, even if it ends up with bad consequences, is still this freedom that we can tell you're experiencing? I mean, I can Mm. hear it from the minute you started talking. What are we so afraid of? Uh, It's exposure. Um, you know, freedom and rest actually comes when we risk exposure, but that's a threshold every time to walk through. It's like like we're afraid that the Lord won't be there to catch us. Like, how do we, did you just have a peace in your soul or was it a risk to say, all right, like how confident were you that God had your back in that moment? Not at all. I I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's the, that's the honest truth. I'm not going to even tell you that like, oh, I just believed like he is good. You remember two days later, two days before, I'm sitting there going, I don't belong to you. Yeah. So you don't just shift from I don't belong to you to like, you've got my back. You're going to take care of me. It was, um, I'm, I'm going to risk putting my life in your hands. Yeah. Um, because I, it's not working out for me with my life in my hands. And, um, and, and that, that really was the case. And, and it was terrifying. And I think the reality is, is that that was the first, of many thresholds of exposure that I've had to walk in the last 18 months. And I won't say that any of those thresholds become any less exposing or Mm. even sometimes terrifying, but the more and more that you walk through that threshold and you step through that threshold to, to find at the backside of of risking your reputation or risking understanding or risking uh, a job. The reality is, is that all of those things are, are for me were idols that I had prompt up, propped up in my life to fulfill my deep needs that only Jesus could ever always fill. And the reality is that the backside of that threshold going, Oh my word. Well, that's it. I mean, how do you uh, talk a little bit about what you've learned in the last couple of years since you've started this journey, like this idea of acceptance and your worth. So now like you go even extremes, right? Like you leave the job at church. So from a perspective of society, you're not doing anything and and we can come to the more present, but for a season, at least, you know, you're not doing much. And in a sense, this culture would say, well, what is your contribution? How did you daily wake up? Because I, I fight with this sense of finding your significance through the things that you do. And how, how do you find it outside of doing? Like, what do you do, practically speaking, day by day to, to feel God's acceptance of you or to understand it deeply? Is it just more time with God? Is it what have you done that has brought that? Or is it nothing? Is it just God taking over? Good question. Um, well, I mean, the reality was, is that that first six weeks was like, the first wave of this uh, like unearthing and refining crushing moment. It was like, and then the Lord, it was like the Lord said, uh, I'm going to let you come up for air son. And then we're going to go back down. And there was a second wave of crushing because all of a sudden I'm look, I am looking at that. Like I don't have a job, uh, which by the way, I would say that I left the job on my own volition. Um, because after six weeks of deep unearthing soul work, I had nothing left in my tank. And I was either mm-hmm. looking at like, either I can fake this and come back to it and, and think that um, I have to keep my job or recognize that God loves the church and he loves me and he's going to take care of both. And, right. <laughs> um, and that was where I ended because I had nothing, nothing in me to give anyways. But the second wave of this was no longer now, here's the realization of it. But now let's look at all the ways that you've tied yourself to this. And so I couldn't get a job for the life of me. Like, like literally Lowe's turned me down, uh, which mm. is a great job. Um, but like, I mean, just, I couldn't get a Lowe's job. Lowe's even the, 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 the store. Story. They must know that like, I can't <laughs> swing a hammer for anything. So they must know like, that's just the case. But um, uh, the reality is, is that like, God had work to do in me. I had work to do to look at the idols in my life that I had allowed to thrive. I mean, the 13 years that I lived uh, and worked in ministry in the church, 
I didn't actually need God to show up to do my job. I could do it pretty darn good. And every two weeks, there'd be a, there'd be a paycheck. And at some point or another, I didn't need him in there. And that, mm. you know, some people might be gasping going, oh my word, how are you a pastor? The reality is, is that creeps in a lot, a lot, you know, more slyly right. than we even think. And so right. part of that is that the, my journey has been, you know, if, if God's desire is to, is to bring me back to the place where as his child, I can receive the truth that I belong to him. That's going to mean that as a child should be the way that I approach him should be the, the way that I sense his call and his invitation to be with him in intimacy. And I will be mm. t- I'll tell you this, that the reality is, is that I grew up hearing that all the time. Yes, come as little children, come as little children. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I came as a little child that first had to clean himself up. Come as a little child mm. who first had to make sure he was well-behaved and on his best behavior so that he could bring to God what he needed to bring. And through this process of breaking and God... God, I believe keeping certain things at bay that would have been me just returning back to my vomit and my idols, the inner like um, misbehaved child that I had suppressed for so long finally came out and it was not beautiful and it was not, um, it wasn't pretty at all. And, and it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty ugly actually. Um, Like I'm, I will not, I don't want anybody to believe that, you know, I went through this journey going, oh, wow, he has such great faith. Like, um, uh, it was like, I do not believe you. I do not believe you're good. I do not see how you're working. I'm, I'm kind of done with this. And that stripping away um, for the majority of, of a good part of six months, um, my prayer life was nothing more than, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, help, mm. help, help. And there was a moment um, in our home at one night at dinner where I was really, really low, um, like at the lowest part, you know, that I had been in this entire journey because I'm sitting there going, I don't have a contribution. I don't, I'm not bringing anything to anybody's life. And I'm sitting there going, I don't even know what to do. I, I'm looking at my, my five beautiful family members going, I have failed them. And I made, I make, I cook at home. And so I made dinner that night and, you know, any parent will know that usually when you have four kids, you, you have four different requests for four different meals besides the meal that you're going to make for your, you and your wife. So, um, I have one particular child who, um, you know, we're walking through some, some things with her and, um, and, and she's very passionate and, um, she made it very clear that, uh, <laughs> that she was not happy with what I made that night. and. Um, uh, because of some of the things that she's working through in her own development, um, uh, it came out in a very brash, ugly way. There's no no better way to say it. I mean, um, mm. and I don't like you, and and I don't like any of you, and I don't want this food, and you know, just just erupted out of her little body. And in a moment, I had this sense of like, invite her on your lap. And I said, I said, sweet girl, do you want to eat in my lap? Yes. And she stopped, mm. she was silent, and she hopped up on my lap and she ate her dinner. And it was a moment that for me in my journey, it was like, see, son, that, that's how I love you. That's awesome. That's how, that's how that's I awesome. invite you to my table. That's how I invite you to, to wow. my presence is not as the little boy who you felt like you needed to clean up and, and make acceptable before you could come into my presence and before you could be a part of my body, but in all of the mess and all of the rage and all of the anger and all of the, the brokenness and confusion and all of that, I'm just going to ask you to come sit on my lap. And um, that has been the journey of waking me up. Mm. That has been the journey of me. Uh, when David in Psalm 27 says, one thing I ask and that I will seek, that I would dwell in your house all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the, of the Lord. That's the Father's heart for us is he, he, he welcomes us into his home. And, and when we feel the shame of our brokenness, we feel the shame that we carry from our, our, our past sins or our, our past behaviors or 
or the things that we're afraid to acknowledge or that we are afraid to let God behind the curtain, we are the ones who leave his house. He never kicks us out. In fact, he, he'll look at us and say, I'd like you to stay. And, and there's been moments where I'll wake up in the middle of the night in this journey as I've, as I've grown in this, 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 this journey of healing and rest where I, I'm afraid. And I'm afraid of, of God, are you going to take care of me? I, I'm afraid of maybe my significance is still wrapped up in this and, and it's clear that it is. And, and I'm reminded, you left the house, Brad. All he's asked me for me and all he's in, the invitation has always and, and ever been I just want you to live in my house and to gaze upon the beauty of the water. And in doing that, you're going to receive from me who, who I think you are. Just a couple of practical questions, because I know that people are listening and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh, I want to give talking because there's a lot I want to. But just some, some sort of practical nature stuff. Well, first, how do you do that? What you're saying? How do you stay in the house? Mm. You, how have you practiced that in those moments of fear? Well, is it a worship it, song? Is it a walk in the woods? Uh, for me, I mean, it goes back to where this all began was in solitude. Mm. Um, I, I now practice just this spiritual practice and this rhythm of solitude. Um, I have to get away. And I don't, and, and, and for me as a performer, as a recovering performer and achiever, like I would I would go the youth group route in the past. Like I was the kid who, when we'd go on youth, youth retreats and they'd send you off in the woods and then I knew they're going to come back and they're going to say, what'd you, what'd you hear? What'd you learn? And I, and I would spend the entire time away going, okay, what do I need to say? What do I need to, because I need them right. to know that they're successful and they're doing, the, and, and, and so I'm going to bring that to the table versus the freedom to say, oh, look at this frog. Uh, or, or, you know, I pick my nose the whole time. Or whatever, right. like, like now solitude for me is that I bring my Bible journal pen. It's, it's, I go to a place where I'm alone, where I'm familiar with my thoughts. I can hear the, 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 the ways that m my mind is speaking. And it's not a matter of me like, okay, what do I need to do to materialize God's presence here? Like he's always been right. with me. Just, and so the solitude is just simply a place where you know, it could be in my car. Uh, it could be in the woods behind our house. It could be, um, you know, a, a walk, you know, down the street or whatever. But um, it's it's just a matter of um, I, I get away just to be with you. Mm. And 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 practically speaking, um, do you still like? Do you wake up in the morning and this battle with same sex attraction? Is it? Do you feel like Satan has made it harder for you, or do you feel more victory? Like how how do you deal with that aspect of it? I mean, I, I think my, my attractions, like it, it, it was kind of an interesting thing for me in the journey of, of sharing this with people after I shared with my wife and shared with my parents and my family and, and everybody else, like it was interesting because a common, a common thing that I would hear when I would share with people specifically, I think with men was I would share and then people would say, you know, something along the lines of like, wow, thank you for being so courageous and brave to share this. And and then all of a sudden it was like, there was this need for, for people to say, I don't really know what that's like, but, um, but I, I really appreciate you sharing. And, and I thought to myself, we, yeah, you actually do know what this is like, yep. because yep. the thing is with same sex attraction, it's, it's, it's no different than, I mean, we kind of laugh off in, in the, in the church today, like, you know, in men's groups, oh, I struggle with less. Well, of course you do. Of course, yeah. you know, it's kind of laughed off as this thing and we create whole things. But the reality is, is that any object of attraction that moves us away from keeping our eyes and our need on Jesus is in the same camp. Right. <laughs> like, Amen. It's no different. That's it. And so the reality for me is it's just, it's no, it's been no different. My, my call of discipleship in me has been an invitation to both holiness and surrender. Amen. Just like everyone else's. And so it, it's, it's less helpful to say, well, same-sex attraction is different or, you know, that, that you, you know, I don't, I don't need to be a different case. Right. The fact of the matter is that all of us have been Amen. invited to walk a journey of holiness and surrender. And 
that hasn't changed in bringing this and unearthing this and in, in speaking about it, if anything, it's, it's ignited in my heart, the longing and desire for those who are feeling that sense that I could never possibly share this mm. thing in me because it's too unacceptable or it's, it's too broken or it's too this or that or any of the messages we tell ourselves. It's ignited a fire in me to say, no, it's not. It's not, and it's not for you to, it's not for you to materialize God's grace in you. It's, it's, it's the father is going to, he's going to lavish it on you, but what is it going to require you to render yourself to that work of lavishing that he wants to do in you? That's so good. Brad, tell us what, um, like the future for you, how, do, what, what, how are things looking? What are you doing now? Are there ways people to connect with you? Like bring yeah. us a little bit on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's funny. I go on this whole 18 month journey and at the end of it, I realize. I carried a lot of shame when I resigned as a pastor because, you know, I failed at that and, um, sure. and I let people down and I, I, you know, I left people high and dry. And I mean, who plants a church and four months later walks away, you know? Um, <laughs> but God, God's brought me on this whole refining journey of emptying out and refilling and waking up um, only to show me I bear the indelible mark of a pastor, of, of his character as a pastoring and shepherding God. And that is the work that he's called me to do. And so uh, actually, um, I actually pastor and coach people um, on a private level now. I don't, I don't have a role in a church, um, but I, I, uh, I pastor people and coach people and, and walk alongside of people in a pastoral counseling manner. Um, yes, people who are same-sex attracted and, or, you know, and maybe are in ministry and, and don't know how to share. And, and think that their life is going to fall apart. Um, I, I will be honest and say, uh, I'm not the guy to say uh, your life is not going to fall apart because mine basically did, but for mm-hmm. the better. But I, I, I will coach, you know, couples and, and um, I'm particularly passionate about, uh, about walking people on, with people on this journey of healing, of, of renewal, um, whether that is personal renewal in Christ, if it's, if it's interpersonal relational renewal, um, if it's people who have been hurt in the church, um, family members of LGBT people who are sitting there going, how do I, how do I not lose both my, my, my loved one and my theology and, and walking alongside of them. And, uh, so, so that's what I do now. And, uh, I, how can people reach you? Cause I would imagine that there may be people listening who would love to talk yeah, to you and get some, so I, um, I have an Instagram account, um, and uh, one of the things that through all of this awakening is uh, I used to be a really ashamed of my voice, as I said before, and that came through in my writing before. I, I would I actually would I stopped writing because the way that I write I I, I began to assume was too feminine and too um, too colorful or whatever, and I mean it's crazy how things like that our minds, but I shut that down for a long time. And so uh, my Instagram account really is less of like, oh, this is what we did. This is the vacation we went on. But like the truth that pe- that, that God is, has been revealing to me in my journey and, and, and offering that to serve other people. But um, so that's uh, Brad underscore Claver. Um, uh, I have a website that is, I'm not going to point you to yet because I, I built it when I was still a really broken dude. And, uh, and I, and I'm in the process of rebuilding that, but um, you know, you can you can email me at brclaver at gmail.com. Um, um, Facebook, uh, I have a Facebook account. Um, I'm not very good at marketing or anything like that, but um, I really would love the opportunity to sit with people who, and uh, it doesn't have to be local. I, I coach people uh, over the phone and, and on FaceTime and things like that too. Um, Brad, I'm looking at your Instagram. It is stunning. You are an amazing photographer, and I'm looking at it right now. Just, wow. If you are not following him, which you probably aren't because you may have just met Brad for the first time, you want to get on this account. Honestly, it is so stunningly beautiful. Um, it's just worth looking at. And then, again, we'll put your uh, email in the shout-out at the uh, end of the show. But, wow, honestly, I could talk to you for another hour about this. And maybe down in a, in, a, in a bit, we'll have you come back to talk more about this issue of self-worth, how to hear from the Lord as you continue this process. Your um, story is incredible. And I think more than anything, 
it makes me want to know the Lord even more. And I think to me, that is the best story that God could write. And I, I'm just really moved that you shared it here. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been, it's just a privilege. God is he's so good. Amen. Listen, guys, um, I know this is a long podcast. It, it probably is one of my top three favorite podcasts so far. I, uh, I love uh vulnerable, real stories of people who have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I know that you guys have enjoyed this. Shoot me an email if you have. Uh, More than that, if you are in a place where you feel like you need hope, you're walking in darkness, you know things about yourself, nobody knows. doesn't have to be same-sex attraction. It could be anything. And you just feel like there's no one you can talk to. That's why we're doing this. We want to create a place for you to connect with the Lord. And so whether you email Brad, whether you want to email me, go to livingwithpower.org click on the contact page, email me. That comes into my inbox. Know that we are praying for you extra special this week. We love you. And we will see you again next time.